From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you with us today. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, it was exactly a year ago today that the Biden administration colluded with the National School Boards Association, which led to the Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing a federal task force. Now, the mission of that task force, well, it was to track parents who were trying to stop the indoctrination of their children in America's schools. Now, it would appear that the American Medical Association and others are pulling a page from the National School Boards Association's playbook. The AMA and others are asking the Department of Justice to go after parents and others who are concerned about hospitals performing elective gender transition treatments and surgeries on minors. Now, the question is, are we now living in an era where every left-wing cause can call upon the federal government to harass and intimidate those with whom they disagree. North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop joins me in just a moment for that conversation. So is it true or not? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. That, of course, was President Biden on September 19th declaring the pandemic was over. But apparently he forgot to tell his military leadership. So it's uh, worth kicking much, out health, the healthiest people in our country who are already sacrificing? Your, it's worth kicking them out? Brian, Brian, we would rather not lose anybody, of course, uh, to the vaccine. We'd rather not lose anybody uh, from a retention perspective to have them leave the service earlier than they wanted or we wanted them to. Right. But it's a valid military requirement. No, it, no, it isn't. This that was John Kirby, National Security Council coordinator, in an exchange this morning with Fox and Friends co-host Brian Kilmeade. Republican members of Congress are pressing this very issue with a letter to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. We'll talk with one of those members of the House Armed Services Committee, Texas Congressman Pat Fallon, later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, Franklin Graham joined us with an overview of the relief efforts of Samaritan's Purse in the state of Florida. The need is great. And so many churches are actually leaning in to help, even those in Florida who are impacted themselves. We'll be joined by Congressman Greg Stubbe, who is working with his church in Florida to help their community. And finally, last week, Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano, who is running for governor in the Keystone State, put out a call to his supporters and others to join him in 40 days of prayer and fasting. Most of you would not think anything about such a request. Calls to prayer and fasting are pretty common among Bible-believing Christians. Well, some of the media said that Mastriano's call to prayer is because he has embraced Christian nationalism. <laughs> so now, just calling for prayer and fasting is evidence of being a supporter of Christian nationalism. Now, if that's the case, then our nation was built by so-called Christian nationalists. FRC's resident historian, Dr. Keenan Curitan, is going to join me for that conversation a little later here on Washington Watch. And by the way, go ahead and mark your calendars for a Pray Vote Stand Town Hall event on October the 12th. And this is what it's entitled, The Rise of the Term Christian Nationalism. Where did it come from and why is it being used? Now, the aim of this event is to provide Bible-believing Christians an understanding of the origins of this term, Christian Nationalism, and how it's being used to suppress 
voter turnout among Christian conservative voters. That's what this is all about. I'll be there. Former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, who is now the dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University. Pastor Gary Hamrick, who is our host at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Dr. Stephen Coughlin and Dr. Mark David Hall, author and professor. This is, next, this is Wednesday, October the 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So you can find out more by going to TonyPerkins.com or texting the word Town Hall. That's Town Hall, one word, to 67742. That's 67742, the word Town Hall. And you'll be alerted with a link so that you can join us on October the 12th for that important Town Hall meeting. The word for today comes from Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, in a world that is filled with darkness, division, and danger, what greater promise could we have that the Lord is our light to guide us and the source of not only our strength, but of our salvation? So why should we fear? While in prison awaiting execution, Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, think of all the messages we hear throughout the day designed to stoke the embers of fear in our hearts. Crime, global warming, economic meltdown, COVID. To be sure, some of these things are real. But if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing. To join us in our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Yesterday, Healthcare organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, and the Children's Hospital Association, sent a letter requesting the Department of Justice investigate and prosecute those who question radical gender surgeries for minor children. Now, unlike the attacks on pregnancy resource centers, there has not been any documented cases of violence against these hospitals. Now, this is the playbook we saw from the left when parents speaking out at school board meetings were labeled domestic terrorists. The left has increasingly pushed to weaponize federal agencies under this administration to use them against their enemies. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Dan Bishop. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Homeland Security Committee. He represents North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program. Tony, I'm glad to be with you again. So is this deja vu? I mean, are we seeing once again a left-leaning organization calling on this administration to use the government against those they disagree with? Undoubtedly, we are. That seems to be the left's modus operandi. But, Tony, I think you, your viewers ought to recognize that it may be worse. That is to say, in the previous instance of the moms and dads going to school boards being targeted across the country by the FBI at the instruction of Merrick Garland, that all began in the White House. It didn't come from the National Association of School Boards. The White House used that organization as a cutout to, to, draw, to uh, sort of scheme up this attack on a group that the White House, a disfavored political group from the position of the White House. And I wouldn't, I mean, we don't know any evidence yet to understand that the AMA and, uh, and the uh, pediatric uh, uh, organization are doing the same thing, but they well might be. And in any event, my gosh, where have we become, where have we come to in this country when constitutional rights mean so little to the left, the tolerant left, 
that they uh, they want to see political opponents jailed anytime they disagree, particularly on issues that are fringe issues. I mean, when has it been that we can't in this country have a position on the ideology of transgenderism and the and the destruction of children by means of it, the surg surgeries for kids who won't have an opportunity to, to express adult consent. It's, it's horrific. Yeah, to be clear, we oppose violence of any type. And if so, if someone were to, you know, firebomb one of these hospitals because they disagree with what those hospitals are doing, that person should be arrested and charged with that crime. But we've not seen any evidence to suggest that that's happening. On the other hand, though, we've had nearly 100 cases of violence against care pregnancy centers since the month of May and the leaking of the Dobbs decision. But yet we've seen no arrest from the Biden Department of Justice on this clear, clear act, these clear acts of violence. And we've not even heard them say anything or give an update. So what are we left to believe? And Tony, that summons to mind the arrest, the, the raid on the home of Mark Houck by 20 or 30 FBI agents, his arrest in front of his children, guns drawn uh, for a violation of the FACE Act, the act concerning clinic entrances. He had allegedly pushed somebody on two occasions. On one occasion, the person had fallen down and been injured. So he's facing 11 years under an indictment by the Justice Department, and they send in the FBI in that kind of raid. And yet we've seen all of those attacks on pregnancy resource centers. They also are covered by that same uh, federal law. Right. And where right. is where is the response to that? Uh, none at all. So, you know, Americans are having this deepening sense. Well, it's more than a sense. They have this conviction that there's a dual standard of justice and they've never seen. I've never seen in my lifetime a Justice Department and FBI federal resources politicized in the way that we're seeing. And and so, Tony, that's our job. If Republicans are fortunate enough to win a majority, I sit on the Judiciary Committee where Jim Jordan is a ranking member and will be chairman. And I think what we need is what something like what they did in the 1970s, the Church Committee that, uh, that look, took a hard, long look at our intel agencies. Frankly, even then, the FBI was the one they had the hardest time penetrating. So let me ask you about that, because I know we, we could go on all day talking about the problems, but I think people want to hear the solutions. I mean, I do. So under a Republican majority in the House, even though they would not have the executive branch, which the, the Department of Justice comes under, they would have the purse strings, and therefore they also have subpoena power. You could investigate and produce a report that would show the deficiencies and the problems and how there has emerged a two-track system of justice in this country. Could you not? I think we could. And and that is, you know, that was the struggle, frankly, that uh, the church committee faced in the 70s. I just finished reading an extensive review, a book about the process and the intel state, the security state, the intel agencies, the FBI, the CIA, you know, were enormously obstructive to that interaction. And they are concerned justifiably, frankly, about sources and methods. But then they can also use those same uh, protections in, in a manipulative way to avoid Congress finding out what's going on. But we need to get into the into the confrontation, dig into it carefully, look at how the FBI is uh, is taking is setting priorities, the, the Department of Justice, how are they pursuing cases like the Whitmer 
supposed, well, kidnapping plot in Michigan where two, two of the accused were acquitted on entrapment grounds. How are they, uh, how do they decide to go arrest Mark Houck? How do they decide to send in a team, a SWAT team on that mission rather than just asking someone to surrender himself or herself? Are they engaged in purposeful intimidation of, a, of political opponents in doing so? It's a subtle thing. But we have to do that. And I believe, frankly, Jim Jordan's leadership will, will take us in exactly that direction. I think there's no question, Dan, that that has to happen, because if it's if it doesn't happen, I do not think the Americans, whether conservative or liberal, will ultimately be able to have confidence in our system of justice. Well, and and there begins if that is the case, Tony, there begins, you know, an almost unremediable destruction of the country. We have to restore justice. The American rule of law, Democrats talk about it a lot, or the left talks about it a lot. Uh, they say that there's these threats to our democracy, but this is, you're seeing the, the threats to democracy and to the rule of law lived out in a justice yeah. department that appears to move according to politics rather right. than impartial justice. Yeah, and that's that's... That is disturbing because that is the very bedrock of our system. Our republic rests on the rule of law. Congressman Dan Bishop, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Well, folks, I this has to happen. And so I, I'm hopeful that we'll see a majority in Congress that will do this, that will pursue justice and bring things back into balance. All right, coming up, the pandemic is over, according to the president. But members of the military, they're still being booted because they won't get the shot. We're going to talk about it next. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, last month, President Biden told 60 Minutes that the pandemic is over. The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. Now, that news may surprise many in our armed forces as they remain one of the few groups of government employees still subjected to termination for not getting the COVID shot. Now, we saw this just this week when a Coast Guard member who was singled out by the president for valor following Hurricane Ian, in fact, he was called by the president, he's one of the thousands of members slated for discharge for refusing the jab. Now, several, several Republican congressmen have written a letter to the Secretary of Defense requesting a briefing on the military shot mandate that's still in place. And they want to know, when is this going to end? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Pat Fallon. He, he serves on the House Armed Services Committee and on the House Oversight Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I mean, this looks like it should be a non-issue. I mean, the president declaring that the pandemic is over, evidence showing very clearly that people in this age category really don't need the vaccine. They do actually, in many cases, better without it. But yet, at a time when our military is not even meeting its recruitment goals, its retention levels are dropping, they're still pressing this shot policy. What's going on? Well, they're kind of, Tony, like one-trick ponies, uh, and it's really, unfortunately, sad to see. But when you mix politics with medicine, you're going to get two results. You're going to get bad politics and bad medicine. And that's precisely what Joe Biden and the Democrats have done with COVID. They never followed the real science. They had an orthodoxy, and they just never moved from it, regardless of what the facts were. So, you know, it's important for your uh, listeners and viewers to know that the military has missed their recruiting goals. The Army by nearly 20,000 recruits just this year alone. The Navy only reached 89% of the recruiting goals, and the Air Force was also several thousand short. And yet we're looking at up to 15,000 service members, qualified heroes, wearing the uniform right now, are going to be thrown out for no other reason than they won't take a jab for, um, they won't take a vaccine for a pandemic that Joe Biden sends over. 
And again, the science is making it clear now as we're actually seeing a lot of uh, complications coming forth for those in particular age categories, younger people, quite frankly, who now, it appears, do better if they get a case of COVID. They have better resiliency and uh, protection against future uh, variants. But, I, I mean, if you look at the military issue, as you've just pointed out, this is a readiness problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, our military, if it's not meeting its recruitment goals, it's not retaining people, we're driving out healthy people that are trained, that we've invested money in. This points to something beyond a health issue. I mean, this almost looks like there is an effort, a deliberate effort, to undermine the strength of our nation's military. Well, whether it's deliberate or not, that's exactly what the result is, Tony, because we really have a tactical issue and then we have a strategic issue. The tactical issue is the 15,000 service members subject to dismissal for not taking the vaccine. That's the tactical issue. The strategic issue is just, and this is what we wrote in the letter, we wanted to know how is this mandate affecting recruitment and retention? Because some folks, if they're due to retire, and they could serve, you know, if, depending on your ranks, you could serve all the way for, to, for 30 years, but you're eligible for retire- retirement at 20. If somebody doesn't want to get the vaccine and they're within that window, they might just, you know, retire. And then also, how many of these young 18-year-old, as you just adroitly pointed out, are healthy, don't need the jab, will do better without it, particularly now that the variants seem to be less and less potent, aren't going right. to want to bother to go in the military because they don't want to take the jab in the first place. There's another, well, there are a multitude of issues here. I mean, the, the, the shot, I think, is exposing a lot of things. But one of the aspects that you bring out in your letter is regarding the religious exemption concerns that you have. And, you know, as a, as a veteran, um, you know, disproportionately, for those that haven't served in the military, they may not be aware of this, but th- the military is not reflective of the total population, there are people that tend to have probably a stronger connection to, to kind of a religious community, orientation, more conservative, patriotic. They tend to be drawn to military service. And when you are totally disregarding these religious convictions and concerns, you're basically telling those people, look, don't bother. We don't want you. Yeah. And that's a horrible message to send. Because it takes a certain person to will, will, willing to put on that uniform. In fact, only 23% of Americans are even eligible for service because of the mental acuity requirements, the physical requirements, and the educational requirements. 9%, Tony, have an interest in serving. Only 9% then, and less than 1% serve. And there were, the Army had 4,664 religious exemption requests, and they granted 44 of them, so less than 1%. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's disgusting. That's almost statistically zero. So that's another thing we wanted to ask Biden is if the pandemic's over, when is this? Why are you still kicking people out of the service? And when is that going to end? When is when is that? Right. And, and would you consider reinstating the folks that you did kick out? And then furthermore, tell me about the religious exemption. Why are less than one percent of the folks uh, being why are one percent? They're granted to less than one percent. Why right. is it? And as I understand, most of those that are being granted uh, religious exemptions are on their way out of the military anyway. Uh, they're about to be separated f- for whatever they're retiring or not re-enlisting. 
Do you expect to get an answer from Secretary Austin? You know, I hate to say this, Tony, but no, I don't. Uh, this administration has proven time and again in the last two years just to completely ignore the members of Congress. I thought we were a co-equal branch of government. We're supposed to be. The Constitution says we are. But Joe Biden is just ignoring uh, the Republicans altogether. And hopefully that's going to change uh, come next month when he's going to be forced yeah. and compelled to work with us and deal with us and not ignore us anymore. Well, I think our men and women in uniform are waiting for that day. Congressman Fallon, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Tony. God bless. Take care. All right. Stick with us. On the other side of the break, another member of Congress doing recovery work in Florida with his church. Congressman Greg Stubbe joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Lots more ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. We continue to track the situation in Florida following Hurricane Ian. You know, our next guest, like so many others, is uh, working around the clock in the recovery effort, not only to, to clean up his own place, but to working with his church to help others who have been affected by this. Congressman Greg Stubbe, he's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Greg, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. 
All right. So uh, I want, first off, I want to thank you for taking uh, the time to join us because I know what it's like uh, in the in the first few days after a storm like this. G- give us a, a kind of an update of, of what's happening there on the ground. Well, it's it's the storm is so interesting because it affected counties significantly and catastrophically, but very different. So yesterday I was in DeSoto County. Hardy County and Charlotte County, all counties in my district that were heavily impacted. And in DeSoto County, uh, the largest impact was record flooding. Since they've been keeping records, uh, we, we, um, th- this storm was bigger than that. Cresting major flood damage is at 19 feet. This thing was at 23, 24 feet. We still have houses underwater in Arcadia. There are places that law enforcement just now, you know, we're seeing roofs and we're seeing houses uh, so I, I, I'm afraid that the death toll is going to be a lot higher once law enforcement can actually physically get into some of these buildings and some of these homes. And then on Charlotte County, they didn't have the flooding, but they had record wind damage, 130, 135, 140 mile an hour winds uh, on the coast. And so as you drive through there, every roof has a tarp on it. Um, there's trees down everywhere. Um, power has not been restored. I would say the majority of my district still does not have power. Um, we've gone, but they're doing an excellent job. We've gone from 2 million out of power to half a million out of power in five days. That's a, that's a record for the amount of people and line workers that are down here. And now it's just, it's just cleanup. There are still areas like Sanibel that you can only get to by boat because the console be washed away. Um, so it's, it's a trying to get resources to the people that need it, whether that's food, whether that's water, whether that's a tarp on their roof, whether that's law enforcement, whatever that case may be. Each of the county's emergency operations centers are working around the clock. There's some people that haven't left there in a week because they went in before the storm hit on Wednesday, and they've been there ever since. Uh, and I'm, I'm exhausted. My heart goes out for those people that, that dispatchers, law enforcement, EMTs, National Guard that have been sleeping in emergency operations centers or sleeping in vehicles for the last almost week uh, to, to provide human resources and um, and the types of things that our civilians need right now. Yeah, they're the first responders, everything I've seen, they're doing a, a great job there in, in Florida. Of course, we've come kind of gotten accustomed to the intensity of these storms, and they're much better equipped with each successive storm. But also um, churches and others leaning in to help you. In fact, we just showed some video of you uh, volunteering with your church, going out to to help cut away trees so people can get into their homes. Such, So a lot of churches, uh, they're involved in the relief efforts as well? Local churches and nationwide churches. I had the opportunity to visit um, the Baptist uh, Convention that has disaster relief, and they've been doing this for so long. And I have seen Red Cross, I have seen Salvation Army, and I have seen the Baptist churches through the, the Baptist Convention disaster relief program. Um, I actually just, somebody asked me what who to give money to, and I, I referred them to that website. The most well-organized, um, trained individuals, 100% volunteer, all the people that are there, I met people from Texas, I met people from up north, I met people from all over the country who, once they are activated, they've already been trained in certain skill sets, whether it's delivering food, whether it's cooking food, whether it's doing generators, whatever the case may be. And being a military guy, it was a very impressive outfit, extremely well run, extremely well organized, all volunteer organizations. So these people are volunteering their time and not, they're, so the resources aren't going to 
um, pay people, the resources are going to, right. to provide to the community. And just the one location that I was at, in the one day that I was there, they served 12,500 meals. Yeah. And this is, you know, Greg, I know you've seen this, but this is one of those times that actually encourages you, even though it's in the midst of a tragic situation where you see people coming together to help other people just because they care. And the American spirit. I mean, one lady that I visited who had some damage uh, in Punta Gorda, we visited Punta Gorda as well yesterday, and um, it was neighbor helping neighbor in this small little community. And it was most, more of a, a retired or elderly community, and they were helping each other out. Those that had more damage, um, they were helping, and, and the lady said, this is what being an American is all about. And I think that yeah. is the true testament of these types of tragedies and what that brings out in Americans. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Greg, 30 seconds left. How can we be praying for you and for uh, your constituents and others there in the state of Florida? Just pray for our first responders who are still on the ground doing search search and rescue missions. Pray for those people so that we can get to those that we haven't gotten to yet and um, all of those that are putting their lives on the line in order to keep other people safe. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe, always great to talk with you and uh, glad you're safe and uh, appreciate you taking time to join us today. Yes, sir. Thank you. You know, and in, in, in be praying. I just know how this is. That you kind of get tunnel vision. You can't see beyond today. And it, it can be overwhelming, especially for the elderly or those that really don't have any family to help them. That's why these volunteer organizations are so important. They can come in and give a sense of help uh, and hope by just being there, whether it's cutting trees, mucking out houses, or just being there to listen so important. So if you can be a part of this, do. You can, everybody can do something. So I encourage you to do that. All right, stick around. Dr. Keenan Curitan joins me next as we talk about the issue of Christian nationalism. That's next. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to visit that. Also, at the top of the program, I mentioned the verse for the day. Every morning at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time, we have a daily devotional that goes along with our Bible reading plan, and you can be a part of that. You can either go to TonyPerkins.com or you can watch it on Facebook as well. And you can download the reading plan at frc.org slash Bible. All right, speaking of the Bible, uh, when Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano issued a call to prayer and fasting, for the final stretch of his campaign, the left, well, they went crazy. They said, well, this is just evidence that he is a Christian nationalist. What? Calling for prayer and fasting is associated with Christian nationalism? Well, if that's the case, you go back to the beginning of our country, and for the last 200 and almost 50 years, We've been a nation filled with Christian nationalists. I think there's something else behind this term. It has nothing to do with prayer, fasting, nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with trying to discourage Christians from being involved in the process and bringing biblical values to the table of discussion. Well, join me now to talk about this is Dr. Keenan Curitan. He's our resident historian here at the Family Research Council. He's our vice president of Christian Resources. Keenan, welcome back to the program. Tony, great to be with you today. Okay, so let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, this is just the latest example. I mean, this term is like it just kind of uh, popped out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, anyone who calls for prayer or supports the sanctity of human life or of biblical marriage or any other value associated with Scripture, they're a Christian nationalist. If that were the case, you go back to the founding of this country, and I I would be left with the impression that most of our founders were Christian nationalists, and according to this definition. Well, you might think that. I mean, from the very beginnings, uh, America is loaded with Christian belief and 
practice and principles. I mean, you know, soon after they uh, landed there in Jamestown, the Reverend Robert Hunt, 1607, uh, prayed and they planted a cross. And then, of course, when the Plymouth Colony settlers landed in 1620, they fell to their knees on the beach and blessed the God of heaven. So it's not surprising that proclamations for prayer, even by civil government leaders, are a vital part of America's rich Judeo-Christian heritage. So why all of a sudden then is a call to prayer and fasting associated with Christian nationalism? Is it is it an ignorance on behalf of those in the media that have no idea of our history? Or is it an intentional effort to try to, to stigmatize people of faith from engaging in the public discussion? I think it's a both-hand deal. Uh, I really do. And obviously, you know, you, you've got uh, people who are using this label, I think, not just as fear-mongering, uh, but it's, it's a, as you put it, it's, it's a thinly veiled attempt at voter suppression of Christians, trying to shame us into either not participating or shying away from aligning ourselves with overtly Christian candidates. Uh, because, you know, what, what that gubernatorial candidate was calling for is not unusual. In fact, the governor of my state uh, here in Tennessee did that recently, September 30, uh, last week. So, you know, that's, he's just, he's standing in a long line, our governor standing in a long line of, of Christians in public office who've taken their faith very seriously and seen the benefits for public life. I mean, we go back, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, he drafted a resolution for a day of uh, fasting, humiliation, and prayer. James Madison, uh, J- President John uh, Tyler. I mean, you, you just go you go, go down the the list, and th- there's just so so many. I mean, I, I think of uh, the one, of course, that a more modern example of this is one that gets a lot of people's attention: uh, President Roosevelt, FDR actually leading the nation in prayer during World War II. I mean, would you consider him a Christian nationalist because he was leading the nation in prayer and calling upon God to to favor uh, the the cause of this nation? Uh, No, but, you know, they want to fill that term with whatever they want to fill it with. I mean, that's that's the issue that I think that, that we've got here. We're all using the same vocabulary, but we're using an entirely different dictionary, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a combination of both. I think we have, we've, because we have pushed, certainly out of our education system, uh, references to our Judeo-Christian history and heritage, that's been kind of purged. And so people that, you know, if they don't attend church and they don't read, uh, you know, history beyond what they're spoon-fed in our public institutions, this might seem foreign. But it doesn't take a lot of research to see how rich our country is in this uh, alliance or this uh, understanding and allegiance to biblical principles and truth. But my concern here, well, multi, it's, there's multiple concerns. One is what we were just talking about. I think this could lead to or be intended to suppress by stigmatizing uh, people of faith. Uh, 
But I also think uh, I, it's concerning to me because I think, like you see this guy uh, or this state senator Mastriano, a lot of people will, a lot of elected officials will now back away from calls to prayer because they don't want to have to deal with the hassle of the media and the left. So this could have a chilling effect upon the public exercise of religious expression by our civil leaders. Absolutely. I think you're right about that. And, and I think uh, you know, we need to call people back to our history and our heritage um, and just point out that this is not out of the mainstream. This, this, is, this is what we did for, you know, as you put it, nearly 250 years in this country from the very beginnings. I mean, you, you go all the way back to, you know, uh, Plymouth in 1623 when they were suffering from a drought and uh, about six weeks of no rain and their crops were dying and Governor Bradford called everybody to go into the meeting house. They shut the doors and the windows and they fasted and they prayed all day until uh, they felt like God was done with them, that they had done business with God and then God sent rain that literally revived the crops. But I mean, you go all the way back to 1623 uh, for the first, you know, government proclaimed prayer. And then, you know, you go a little further and you finally, uh, we have, I think 1680, 1668, the very first broadside uh, that we still have in existence of, uh, you know, Massachusetts Bay Colony uh, calling for a day of fasting and prayer. That same year, uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses did did it as well. And then on through our history up until this day, I mean, even President Joe Biden for the National Day of Prayer, May 4th of this year, uh, did a proclamation of prayer. So it's very much mainstream to do so. Well, I, I wonder, though, if it's if the difference is when you call for prayer and you really believe in prayer, if that's what makes you a Christian nationalist, as opposed to just, you know, kind of going through the, the motions. But I, I go back to the uh, Benjamin Franklin, you know, who, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're told was a backslidden Quaker, that in, in, in 1787, he called the Continental Congress. He said, look, we need to have prayer. Um, and I think it was the pastor, uh, Martin Duche, that uh, came in and, and led them in, in, in prayer. So you're right, a, a long history of this. So, so I, I think it, there's something more. There's a loss of our history and understanding of it. But as you said, there's different definitions. And I think we're, we're working out of kind of, I guess, two different definitions. But I, I want to, to go to a, an article that was in Time magazine. I mentioned this last week. There's what they call three threats Christian nationalism poses to the United States. And one of them is that Christian nationalism refers to an ideology, I'm quoting from the article, that asserts all civic life in the U.S. should be organized according to a particular conservative and ethnocentric expression of Christianity. So essentially what they're saying here is that if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, you're of this conservative kind of brand of, uh, you know, Bible-believing Christian. It's one thing to be a Christian. It's another thing to actually believe the Bible. If you do that, you're not—you can't bring that to the table of public discussion in terms of shaping public policy. So 
I would ask the question, so if, if that's not a valid ideology or a val valid worldview, then what worldview is valid? What, what values can be brought to the discussion of public policy in the direction of a country or a community? Excellent question. Uh, you know, that Jesus told us we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So there's no arena where we're forbidden to enter influence, including culture and government. We, we don't check our faith at any door. We bring it to bear on every realm. And in fact, we've got a stewardship responsibility to do so in the realm of government. When he, when Jesus commanded, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, he gave us our marching orders to participate. And that includes more than simply paying taxes and obeying the laws and just shut up and sit in the corner, right? Our constitutional republic, where we, the people, are a vital part of the government, including Christians, we have a responsibility to participate on a number of levels, and not the least of which is, is voting. Uh, but the problem with the term Christian nationalism, uh, again, is that we're using that word, but we're using a totally different way of describing it and defining it. And it just seems like, uh, you know, it's a synonym now. I mean, they're freighting it with all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, white supremacy, just another way to call Bible-believing Christians racists, uh, which is sort of humorous because a lot of Bible-believing Christians are black and Latino and any number of ethnic backgrounds. So, well, I know. would suggest that many of our, our many of our churches are more diverse than many of the uh, social clubs that the left hangs out in. Um, it, it, there's nothing more unifying than Christianity when it is aligned with Scripture. Absolutely, you know, for those who, who view the term in a positive light, you know, Christian nationalism, I guess, could mean you know, I love Jesus, I love my country. I honor America's Christian foundations, and I believe those biblical principles bring blessing to all, believer and non-believer alike. Well, I don't like the term, but I'm not going to be quiet because they throw a, a term or a label at me. I've had so many different labels thrown at me. I don't really care. What, what my concern is here, and in fact, this is the reason we're doing this town hall meeting, uh, on Wednesday, October the 12th, from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, it's at 7 p.m. In fact, folks, I I encourage you. In fact, I, I I would almost plead with you to join us and have your church join us because you need to know what's going on. Why is this term being used? And we're going to have some experts, some professors that actually can go back to the source of this. They're going to talk about the source of it. Uh, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman is going to be a part of this. It's uh, part of Regent University and FRC is supporting that, is uh, bringing this event to you. It's a pray, vote, stand, town hall meeting. But you need to be equipped with knowledge about what's going on and how you can take a stand for your faith and do so with confidence in our country today. So text the word town hall, one word, town hall to 67742. And you'll get a link so you'll have information about that town hall meeting. And, in fact, you can get an alert so that you can be a part of that. You know, Keenan, the reason I want to push back on this is, again, I don't care what label they put, but I'm not, I'm not embracing the term because I think they're, they're totally off their rocker, as usual. Uh, we do not support political violence. That's the left. We are not anti-democratic process. That's the left. Uh, we are not racist. 
that's the left. They continue to provide and, and, and push programs that divide the ethnic groups in our country. We bring them together. So I, I'm just I want to encourage other people to have the, the 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 confidence to stand in the face of this and not be intimidated into silence. Absolutely, Tony. I mean, we have our marching orders from the Savior. We don't take them from the progressive left, and so we need to do what Jesus called us to do, and to be involved in every area of society and bring that winsome Christian influence to bear. Well, by the way, um, very quickly before we run out of time, is there a, a particular favorite proclamation uh, of call to prayer? We're talking about prayer. Do you have one from history that um, that's your oh, ranks man. among your favorites? You know, I am I am loaded for bear with all kinds of these proclamations that, that I didn't know if we'd get into them today. But you know, I think probably one of my favorites. Uh, you know, just to just to tweak the left is their favorite guy is Thomas Jefferson from November 11, 1779. Uh, he, he called on Virginians to ask God that he would grant to his church the plentiful effusions of divine grace, pour out his Holy Spirit on all ministers of the gospel, that he would bless and prosper the means of education and spread the light of Christian knowledge through the remotest corners of the earth, Acts 1-8. I love that. Yeah, that, that, uh, that'll give them something to think about. Dr. Keenan Curitan, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, thank you for joining us. And I do hope you'll join us on October the 12th for the Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting. Text the word Town Hall to 67742. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 